I want to actually start by going back and talking about your first memories of fashion or culture or the arts. Um, I want to find out who your heroes and influencers are when you were growing up because they weren't fashion people. I've heard you say that before in previous interviews. Well, I guess my, um, my mum worked on magazines, so we always had magazines just lying around the house. So uh, I loved Vogue, not for the fashion particularly. And in fact, oddly, until I came to edit Vogue, I didn't even really think of it as a fashion magazine because I loved it because of the, the portraiture and the kind of personalities. So, I mean, I had, I think like all teenagers, you know, I had different heroes at different times, but one of the ones I really kind of still love actually was Patti Smith. She was just, I remember going to see her when I was about 17 and I just desperately wanted to be her and sort of, I loved her style, I loved her music, I loved the Maplethorpe album cover, you know, the whole kind of package. And I think those very early um, references are things that stay with you all your life, because actually it often was um, music, album cover imagery that I kind of remember, like the Bowie, Aladdin Sane, or Lou Reed's Transformer, those kind of, all the Roxy music covers. And oddly, it meant when I came to Vogue, I realised I started quite often commissioning shoots that had kind of references to those well, covers. Well, like your Bowie cover. That's well, like <laughs> the Bowie cover and actually like um, some of the ring flash shoots that Nick did mm. were very kind of, to my mind, sort of Roxy Music circa 1974 mm. in feel. Because you wanted to work in music, that was initially the area you wanted to go into, mm. wasn't it? Mm. Was that yeah. just the, sort of the glamour and excitement of it all? Yeah. Um, I was really passionate about music, I mean sort of pop music or sort of more kind of indie music and I had a friend who ran a record company and um, he, he used to take me to gigs with him and when I had my gap year I went to live with him, stay in his basement in New York uh, where he was running Virgin Records at that time. So I kind of got to get a bit of the kind of behind the scenes and it just seemed so glamorous and <laughs> absolutely fantastic that's where I wanted to be but then when I got a job in the music industry actually it didn't didn't work didn't like it at all. So what was the point where you started to actually think of yourself as a journalist because I've read in other interviews as well that you said you never wanted to do that when you were mm. when you were young it was what your family did you wanted to do something very different where was that moment where you found yourself in the journalism? Well I always game? loved writing and um I read a lot, uh, I mean, sort of again when I was young, things like new Tom Wolfe's The New Journalism era and all the big Rolling Stone magazine articles were incredibly influential to me. So despite the fact I didn't want to be a journalist, I did actually read a lot of journalism and people like Joan Didion are still heroes of mine today. I just think there wasn't a moment when I wanted to become a journalist, I kind of... Um, osmosified or whatever you do mm. into it. Uh, yeah, I can never answer that one. Because <laughs> I'm interested because you did say this um, before you said that you kind of brought all of that to what you've done at Vogue. And I think, it's, I think it's a tired question that you do probably get asked a lot, but I think a lot of people, when you first began, picked up on the fact that you weren't kind of a typical Vogue editor. Did you find that quite liberating in a sense or did you find that quite frustrating or was it kind of a, a mandate to bring those things and do kind of what you wanted with Vogue? 
Um, I think when you take on a job or a big job like that, what other people think about you is something you really don't pay any attention to. I mean, I am somebody that listens and, and hears what people think about me, but actually you're so in the midst of it that it's the kind of least of what you've got going on. So I don't think I even realised that people had that reaction to me. I mean, I remember reading an article which said something like, you know, Alexandra Shulman is an odd choice. She's a words person, not a fashion person. And I just thought, well, what is a words person? And God knows, I don't know what a fashion person is. Mm -hmm. I sort of, in a way, I knew so little about the world that I wasn't aware of some of the issues I might have been aware of had I been working in it for longer. Mm -hmm. uh, so no, it didn't bother me. You said before, you said uh, someone called you a words person and kind of what is a words person, but on the other hand, like you have made it so clear that features are kind of where your heart is and good journalism is really important mm. to you. Do you, have you found that a frustration increasingly as this beast of fashion, as you call it, has kind of developed where words, it's so easy for words to sort of fall by the wayside and you see that online, I think, as well. Well, one of the things I've felt very strongly about is keeping long pieces in vogue um, and a really kind of high standard of writing. Um, there is a real problem and, and you're right to bring up online. I mean, the problem is that for younger people coming through, there isn't the place to start writing those pieces. So it's quite difficult. You know, we'd love to work with some younger writers, new names, whatever, but actually you have to learn how to write a 3,000 word piece. It's not just putting on a tape recorder, you know, and transcribing it. Mm. And uh, sort of online doesn't really help because it doesn't really encourage those kind of that way. And, but not only that, but the marketplace doesn't help because most people's attention span is relatively short. So most other magazines have just cut the words down to the minimum. I mean, it's captions or it's sound bites or, you know, maximum a thousand words or something or other. I think that's a real shame. But we've just done some research on the um, app, the monthly app that we're producing. And one of the things that really interests me is, is that the words are coming out as one of the key ingredients that people are enjoying. They're not just looking at it for the imagery or the kind of um, the movement and the bells and whistles and what you can do on an app. They're actually reading, which mm. is cool. Do you ever perhaps worry is a little too strong, but do you ever think about the future of magazines? Do you ever think, what, what will Vogue be in 20 or 50 years? Will it still even be in print, or will it be, as you said, purely like an iPad app? Do, you, do those kind of things worry you at all? Well, they don't worry me, but they interest me, and of course I think about it. Um, I can't predict where Vogue will be in 20 years' time, but uh, I would be... I think there will be a a print vogue, whether or not it's exactly like it is now, whether it's a monthly magazine, I don't know, but all the things that people love about vogue are very uh, inherent to the physical object, uh, the, the fact that it's part of a kind of relaxation process, that it's not part of your everyday world. Uh, people say they like holding a magazine, it's a kind of different deal to looking at it on a on a tablet and I think also you know Vogue has always been something that was a kind of it was a treat and I think although obviously we're going to expand more and more digitally 
the magazine itself, I think will carry on being a treat. After all, we've survived two world wars. Mm. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Vogue reader, because she's obviously very dear to you, and you've been quite protective of her in previous interviews. You've said some you've identified yourself as a feminist, I've read before, but you've also made comments about how young women today have a very hard time compared to, you said, from when you were growing up. Do you, do you worry about women today? Do you worry about, well, maybe not worry, but do you take quite seriously the vision of femininity that a magazine like Vogue puts across? Well, I don't worry about the Vogue reader. <laughs> I think they're, they're absolutely fine. They can look after themselves really well. Um, I don't either feel it's, a, it's our responsibility to look after them. I don't think that is the kind of magazine it is. But I do think the thing I feel most passionate about, and, and it really is becoming something of a you know, kind of, um, I don't know what the world is, it's a sort of mission, um, is that young women who are interested in fashion should be able to see that you can be something other than a model or a film star or a pop star and be interested in fashion. And I think there is a, a kind of real problem when young women kind of are in an environment where all of the imagery that comes to them of, of such a small group of women and you've got more and more women doing fantastic things and having so much more broad an experience of life but often you don't kind of see them in a glamorous context or you don't see them loving fashion or wearing false eyelashes or, or whatever or talking about that kind of thing and I think that's quite alienating for young women because at that point they're very interested in, in all of that side of life and just at the point they're making decisions about what A-levels they're going to do for instance. How often do you see a glamorous scientist? You know, We want more young girls to do A-levels but we need some women out there who are scientists to kind of be prepared to be seen with that kind of frivolous side to them really I think is what it is and and that's quite hard because people are scared you know if you're a politician if you're a scientist if you're a serious writer it's it's interesting how frightened people are still mm -hmm. in this country to be associated or to be seen in a kind of fashion context and that's become something that I'm really engaged with I feel feel very strongly about because otherwise all we're going to have is girls who want to be Cheryl Cole and you know it's great being Cheryl Cole but we don't need everybody to be her. Mm. Do you think that there's, there is quite a strongly gendered aspect to this because obviously you worked at GQ so you've, you've, you've seen that other side if mm. you will but no one would think twice about a, a male politician being on the cover of GQ indeed like there are countless examples but I think people would question if you saw Yvette Cooper or or a, like a dynamic female politician on the cover of Vogue. And I don't know if you'd even see her, if they would even be put on that platform in the first place. Well, I mean, uh, Anna put Hillary Clinton on American Vogue. Um, and, um, you know, that was great. Um, certainly, we have asked various comparable figures to be photographed for the cover and they they haven't wanted to be. Um, I have to say that I do think the cover of Vogue is, I mean, covers are, are sort of packaging. And mm. I think our cover does, you know, somebody's got to look pretty glamorous. They've got to look pretty hot. And it's, you know, you don't want to put a woman who's 
not going to be comfortable with trying to portray that side of herself. It's not going to work. So I don't think everybody interesting has to be on the cover, but I do think they have to be in the magazine. The cover is kind of fetishised in the media though, people would talk of the cover as it is the symbol of the magazine, perhaps unfairly as you say, it's to have someone in the magazine feeling comfortable and great is in a way if more important than having them on the cover and as you say not feeling comfortable. Well it's an interesting issue about covers that, it's a good point you make because in a way I don't feel that the cover is a total reflection of the magazine because Covers are there to sell copies. They're there to make people think when they're standing at a newsstand, I want to buy Vogue rather than Elle or InStyle or Grazia or whatever. And there are certain triggers for that. You know, like it or not, there are certain things that appeal to people. Um, and those things are, are relatively narrow. And I hope that the magazine is, is more um, adventurous than what we will necessarily do with our covers. I mean, I, I can say that almost every really kind of creatively out there cover we've done has sold incredibly badly. <laughs> so it's not something that I rush to do. Mm. As fashion becomes more and more of a, of a business, it's always been a business, but it kind of, so much of a focus now is, paced, is put on that pace and that commerciality. Do, is it harder to be um, pioneering and innovative because obviously you've been at Vogue for it's about 20 years now mm. do you find it harder to, to push boundaries now because obviously so much is tied into advertisers and and those good relationships which are which are so important no not really I don't think it's changed very much I mean I think the only the main thing that's changed is there's just much more to reflect in the magazine you know the amount of designers the amount of brands uh, have grown hugely um, but you know, the kind of the need to to reflect your advertisers, the, the sort of general demands of the magazine have not really changed very much over the years. And, and creatively, you know, I think we're able to be as creative as we, as we ever were, in fact. I mean, the only thing probably that's slightly different would be covers, because I look back at some of the British Vogue covers in the 60s and early 70s, and there's no way I could run a cover like that. There's a wonderful one, I think, sort of done when Terry Jones was there, you know, of a girl biting into green jelly or something, and that's all you could see. I mean, that, that just would not be possible now. Mm. Um, but Why is know, that? Just because of expectations? Because it wouldn't sell. I mean, one would like to think that the more extraordinary things you do are the things that attract sales, but even on Vogue, they're not. I mean, they will attract some people, and I have various constituencies to please, so whilst I'm trying to keep my sales high, I'm also trying to keep people who are interested in the photography or the fashion um, feeling that Vogue is saying something that interests them. So, I mean, that's my job as an editor. That's the biggest job. Do you love fashion? I love... Um, no, I think it would be dishonest to say I love fashion. Um, I love clothes, I love um, the way that people can express themselves, I mean I'm really interested in the way people can express themselves via the way they look. Um, I love the business of fashion I'm really interested in, but I'm not one of those, I'm not one of those people who'll see 
you literally will see a collection and I just kind of feel like I've gone to heaven if it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I appreciate it the same way as I do a fantastic painting, but it's not kind of, it's not love, I don't think.